Good morning, Word of Grace. Happy Easter to you all. He is risen, amen? amen. He is risen indeed. And I'm going to make a bold assumption to you today. Um, and my assumption is that uh, whether it's your uh, first time here at Word of Grace or maybe you don't regularly attend any church or whether you're here every single week, my assumption is that you have probably heard the name of Jesus before at some point in your life. Even if it's your first time in church, you've probably heard about the name of Jesus, that perhaps maybe even that he died on a cross for sin and that he rose again, and that's why we celebrate Easter. I would say most people in America might know that much, but even if you don't believe it is true, you may have just heard about Jesus. You may have learned about Jesus. You may have heard his name. You may have even sang songs about him, perhaps, like we did this morning. But the question that I have for you today is going to be the question that I'm going to ask throughout this message, is have you really honestly encountered the risen, living Savior, Jesus Christ? Have you encountered him? Or do you just know a lot about him? Because you could even be a person who regularly attends church all the time, and you know all these facts, and you know all these scriptures, and all of these wonderful things that you've memorized, but have you encountered this risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word, and I pray that you would open our hearts to receive, that we would be people who would hear what your spirit would want to say to us today, to do in us and through us what would bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, church, all of humanity has the same problem. Every single one of us. Every one of us. You have it. I have it. Everyone has the same problem. And all of humanity shares in this problem. And that problem is sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all, in that instance, means all. Means you, means me, means every one of us by nature, Ephesians chapter 2 Paul writes, we are children of wrath. That sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? By nature, we are children of wrath. I mean, like, I know I've done, like, some things that weren't good. I know I've done some wrong things, but a child of wrath? I mean, really? I mean, I know some people that I would call children of wrath. I know some kids, mm-hmm, you know who you're thinking about, that I would call children of wrath, but I don't necessarily know that I would put myself in that category, but yet Paul says, no, we've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us, that means you and me, no matter how good we think we are, no matter how much good we've done in the world, or how much bad we've done, we are by nature children of wrath. It's part of the deal that when we were born into this world, that we were born into this sin-cursed world where we see that you don't have to teach a child to sin. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to, uh, you know, steal something or to make up some story to try to get themselves out of trouble because by nature it's all about me and how can I preserve myself. It's not like you send your kids to sin 101 to teach them how to do it. It's like we're born with a PhD in sin. We're born with this natural ability to just be really, really good at it. It's because it's a part of this nature that we are children of wrath because we all share this same problem. Now, here's the thing. Now, we can admit that we've all done wrong. We can all admit that we're born into sin, and we can agree with that, but Scripture teaches us something about sin. 
Scripture teaches us that God is just. And if God is just, that means that sin cannot go unpunished. If sin went unpunished, then God would not be just. Just like if someone broke into your house and stole things, or if someone harmed you or a loved one, you would want justice to be exacted on that person. And if the judge said, oh, it's no big deal, no one has to pay for this crime and just let the person go free, you would be crying out, that's not right, that's not just. You would think that 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 judge was some sort of crook or that he was in with the mob because someone who was obviously guilty got away with the crime and did not have to pay for it. And you would go, that's just not right. Because there's something in us that knows, that has this sense this, that, that this wrong must be paid for. And listen, if God is good and God is just, in His justice, He cannot let sin go unpunished. Because if He let sin go unpunished, then He wouldn't be a very just God. He would just be like that uh, corrupted mob, uh, the, the guy that the mob's paying off to let everybody just go free. That's not what Christ did for us. That's not who God is because God is still just and sin still has to be atoned for. And the Bible says that sin carries a penalty with it. And you know what the penalty for sin is in Romans 6 and 23. Paul writes the wages, the earnings, the penalty of sin is death. It's death. And we cannot right the wrongs that we've done by just trying to do good deeds. We cannot tip the scales of justice in our favor by trying to be a good person. This is us putting the solution to the problem in our ability to fix it ourselves. And people try to do this all of the time. Even if they've never been to church, they still try to fix something because internally they know that something is wrong. And here's what we do as a people. Even if someone has never heard the name of Christ or if they've never sat in a church, they know that there is something that they need to try to make right and they try to prove to everyone and show to everyone that they're a good person. And so there's this thing of, I obviously know what is bad, so I'm going to try to not do those things and I'm going to try to do a lot of good things to show everyone I'm good. And even people who don't know Christ can be very generous, they can be very benevolent, they can be very charitable. They can be uh, a person who volunteers their time to do something that will just tug at your heartstrings. You can see this all over. So it's not just doing good things that makes us right in the eyes of God. It's not just us trying to uh, you know, spread the love and, and share this idea of, of living in peace with our fellow man. And people think that that's the pathway to somehow be okay and to be right and to fix this sin problem. If I just do my best to try to avoid sin, then I'm okay. And then we try to compare ourselves to other people. And we try to say, well, you know, at least I'm not as bad as that family member. I'm not as bad as my sister. Have you looked at her Facebook page lately? She is a hot mess. We'll say things like that. At least I'm not like my brother or my parents. At least I'm not like my aunt or uncle, that person that's locked up. At least I, I didn't do anything really bad. I mean, sure, I, I've, said, I've told some lies. I may have exaggerated the truth from time to time. Uh, I, I may have taken some things from work, you know, that, but I really earned it anyways, you know. I mean, I, I work here long enough. 
and everybody else does it. And so we make excuses and we justify and we rationalize all these things and we think that because we're not killing someone or because we haven't committed adultery or because we haven't uh, committed fraud or something that would land us in a physical prison, we think we're okay. And we go, oh, I'm okay because I haven't done these really big things. I'm pretty much a good person. I'm a good neighbor. I'm someone who helps the, the little old lady, the, the little old lady when the, the big snow comes and we, you know, everyone's out there shoveling their driveways and she's out there trying to clear a driveway and I go out there and give her a hand. I'm a good person. And that's what we all want to think. We want to think because the good we do that that makes us okay. And people that don't know Christ even have that philosophy. They work off of a karma-based system. Something that says, I know I've done bad, but if I do enough good, it'll outweigh the bad, and then I'm okay. Because everyone's looking for the answer just to be okay. I want to be okay. Let's not talk about your issues and your challenges. We certainly won't talk about mine. Um, and I'm not going to talk about you. You're not going to talk about me. And let's just all be okay. Is that okay with everyone? Let's just all be okay together. And we're ignoring the root of the problem. We're ignoring the core issue that every one of us share because we're masking it with our own goodness. We're masking it with our own ability to try to do good and to try to avoid things that are wrong. And we're trying to prove something that we want everyone to see we're good, but at the core we see in Scripture we're, we're not. Go over to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus really amplifies this when he teaches people who kind of have this same idea that a lot of people in our world have. They think that I'm good because of the good that I do. And they think that I'm righteous or I'm a, a, a good person. I'm an upstanding individual in the community, well thought of. And all those things may be true, but what about in the eyes of God? How does God look at it? Because if God is just and if you and I have sinned, there has to be punishment for that sin. And we see in Scripture that the wages or the earning of that sin is death. So let's look and see how Christ looks at this thing and give us a picture of how God views this. In Matthew chapter 5, let's start at verse 21. And Jesus said, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I think we could all agree that that's something that we want to try to avoid, right? We want to try to avoid murdering people. But Jesus doesn't stop there with saying just don't commit murder. Verse 22, he says, but I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and when you're bringing your gift, you remember that your brother has something against you, why don't you just go ahead and leave your gift there before the altar, before you're going to give it, and why don't you just go? Why don't you just go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you paid the last penny. Verse 27, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, but I say to you, Jesus is saying, I'm taking this deeper, but I say to you, verse 28, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your own members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. 
That's a hard thing to hear because I can say, well, I haven't murdered anybody, but I've had some deep hatred and offense in my heart. We can say, I, I, I haven't ever committed adultery physically with another person, but Jesus is saying it doesn't matter what you have or haven't done physically. He's zeroing in deeper. And he's looking at something because you and I are just looking at the exterior and we're championing the things we have and have not done. But Jesus says, I'm looking at the heart. And at the heart, we still see that there's sin still there because I'm still drawn into these thoughts. When someone may look at pornography, when someone may be angry with their brother or may be angry with uh, someone that, that they are in relationship with, and they just wish that that person was just dead and they didn't exist. He said, that's the same thing that's in that murderer's heart. You just didn't physically carry it out. He's saying, I'm zeroing in on the heart issue because that is the issue. What we do as humans is we zero in on the external. If the external looks good, then we go, you're okay. You're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. And we think we're all good because we want to believe in mortal sins and venial sins. But can I tell you no such things exist in Scripture? Can I tell you no such terms exist in Scripture, but we want them to? We want them to. Can I tell you that all sin is rebellion towards God because it is us choosing self-governing rule based on what I think is okay and what I don't think is okay instead of what pleases the Creator God, and that in and of itself is sin? Jesus brings us to the forefront, and we think we're good, but we're all in serious violation. And thus, because all of us, no matter who we are, are in serious violation, we are deserving of that one thing that sin eventually brings about, and that's death. And we all are prisoners. Scripture says we are slaves to that sin. like we've got our own custom jail outfit that every one of us are wearing. It's even got our name on the back. And this is what you and I have, that we are slaves to sin because without Christ we are without hope and there's this debt that has to be paid and we're all guilty of the same crime. And that crime is rebellion towards God. The moment you begin trusting your own ability to save yourself would be like a guilty person that, that, that was this convicted felon that's sentenced to death row, and he's trying to earn his or her way out by their own good deeds. It's almost like, oh, I'm sorry I committed this heinous crime. I'm sorry that, that, that my, my destiny is to be locked up forever or, or to be sentenced to death. I want to apologize. And no matter how many times they apologize, it doesn't fix it. They could try to be a benevolent person. By while they're incarcerated, I could write a novel and sell it and give all of my proceeds to all of the victims and anyone I've ever offended and just try to make up for it. And they would go, you're still sentenced. You still have to pay for because the crime you committed has to be paid for. You have to have that justice exacted. When you did the crime, there has to be the penalty. And I am walking around in my sin, just like you, with ultimately death being the greatest enemy we all face. And if we don't have Christ at the end, when we die, that's it for us. 
and we see that's the final enemy. And, and if we don't, if we don't have Christ in our lives, we live our lives afraid of death. And we're fearful of death because we know that that's it. We're scared to die because everything on this earth, we're just trying to, to amass a good name for ourselves. We're just trying to be a good person, but we're all walking around wearing these prison clothes, sentenced to death because of our sin, and justice must be served because we are guilty. And this sounds hopeless. That's because it is. It is hopeless when we try to fix it ourselves, and it's hopeless unless someone steps into humanity's problem, your problem, and my problem. I'm going to ask my friend JT to come up here for just a minute and help me out. You see, JT is a Sheboygan police officer, and JT picks up guys and puts them in clothes like these because he's trying to find the bad guys, and he's trying to bring them to justice. But what if JT, being an officer who had done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve these clothes at all, I did the crime. It's my name on the back. It's me. I deserve the sentence. But what if JT petitioned the judge, and he said, Judge, I'm willing to do something. I'm willing to take the punishment for Derek's crime, and I'm willing to pay the ultimate price that he was going to pay that was destined to him. see, as JT puts on my prison clothes, it's not JT's name on the back. Are you hearing me this morning? It's not JT's name on the back. It's Derek Armstrong's name on the back. JT is taking my place. He didn't do anything wrong. He is the guy who's actually trying to fix the problem, but yet he took my punishment. This is what Christ did for you. Yes, without Christ it is hopeless, but he took the punishment. He didn't, he, he didn't deserve it. He didn't earn that punishment. I deserved it. I earned it. And instead, he says, Derek, the judge is going to let you go free because I'm going to pay for your crime. I'm going to take the punishment even all the way to death. Now, if we were in that actual situation... And if that actually played out to where you were actually going to go to a physical prison for the rest of your life, and someone like JT said they would be willing to take your place and the judge agreed to the terms because the crime would still be paid for by someone, but it was someone who had done no wrong, what would your response be to someone like that? What would your response be? Would you just, I mean, could you not stop thanking him? Would you just tell everybody about how great he was and what he did for you? Could you just not? I mean, you would be in the checkout line at the grocery store telling people about what had happened. I was destined for an eternity being separated from everyone else, being isolated because I did this crime, but there was this guy who took my place and he didn't do anything wrong, but he took the punishment even unto death. The ultimate thing that I deserve because of my rebellion, because of my sin, he ended up taking it for me. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, the Apostle Paul writes this, For our sake he made him who knew 
no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Christ did for us. The same thing that JT is illustrating having done for me because that's what Christ has done. He's taken your prison clothes with your name on it. And he's taking the punishment for all of us. Every one of our names are on the back of this prison garb. Every one of us, yours, mine. And Christ took the punishment. He took your place. And our response should be, thank you, Jesus, for taking my sin and giving me what I did not deserve because of that sacrifice, because of that love. I get something I didn't deserve. Instead of getting what I deserved, I get to go free. And you go, that's not fair. That's right. That's grace. That's getting not what I deserve, but instead it's getting this gift of love. And all I have to do is receive it and trust that what he did was enough to pay the penalty for my sin, for my offense, for the thing I said, I'm guilty. I deserve this, but he said, I'm going to take your punishment for you. Thanks, JT. You see, Jesus not only defeated sin by taking your place, because death was not the end of Jesus. That would it'd be a different story if Jesus just, just took that sin. He took our prison clothes. He took our sentence. No, that wasn't the end of the story because Jesus rose again on this Easter morning to defeat that ultimate enemy that sin ultimately brings, and that's death. He put death to death by rising again from the grave on the third day. And now he's risen and he's alive and he has overcome not only our sin problem, but he has overcome the ultimate enemy that you and I face in this world and that's death. So if you are in Christ and you put your faith and hope in the sacrifice of Christ, in that substitutionary act, that substitutionary atonement, that means it is a substitute, someone taking your place to pay for the penalty of what you deserve, that substitute. If my faith is in that act as being enough, then I don't have to fear death anymore because death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory. The grave used to have the biggest victory over you and me because of sin, but because of Jesus. Listen to me this morning, church. Because of Jesus, the grave has no victory anymore because Jesus not only overcame your sin, he overcame death by rising from the grave. So here's my question to you today. Amen. Let me ask this question of you. Have you encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Listen to me. Listen to me. Have you encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ? I didn't ask you if you knew this story about Jesus dying on the cross. Because my fear is that some of us think that information is the same as salvation. I'm not asking, have you received information? I'm asking you, have you been transformed by the power of God through Jesus Christ? Have you been transformed? Amen? Amen. Have you been transformed? I, I mean, have you encountered him? Not have I memorized a bunch of scriptures and a bunch of facts? That's great. 
I want you to memorize scripture. I want you to memorize facts about Christ. But more than having memorized facts, have you come face to face with Jesus to where he has changed you and made you new? Just like we sang this morning. If I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, I am not the same. I am changed. I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Because if this is a reality to me, then, then I will see my need and the weight of that need will be so apparent to me that I will feel hopeless until I encounter Christ. And when I encounter Christ, all of that heaviness is lifted and I am free and I am made new and now I have new life because of Jesus. I have a new hope. I have a new joy. I have a new peace that surpasses anything this world can offer or give. And all of a sudden, in the middle of me receiving Christ, I begin to understand that he is enough and that I am content in him, that he has become everything because now I'm not even afraid of death because death has lost its sting. Yeah, I know we're sad when people move on from this life, but this life is not the goal. It's eternity that we need to be focused on, and everything we do in this life impacts and affects eternity in some way, shape, or form either by our action or our inaction. And so Jesus gives me a different purpose. Not only do I have salvation because, listen, this thing doesn't end with me. Amen, somebody? It doesn't stop with me because now that I have received, why would I not want everyone else to know this good news? Why would I want not everyone else to know the gospel and the goodness of Christ? That's why we're putting our services online. That's why we're trying to empower you to be able to reach out to your neighbors, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your families, so we can continue to share this good news because my fear is, is that we think just because we're good people that that's enough and we're okay and that's all we're interested in when it comes to Christianity is just being okay. Let me tell you something. If you have encountered the risen Christ, you're not just going to want to be okay. You're going to be transformed because that's what an encounter with Christ does. Go over to John chapter 20. I want to read this story about someone who encountered the risen Christ. There's this guy that we're about to read about in John chapter 20, and he's, he's a disciple of Jesus, and his name is Thomas, except we have a little nickname for him that's not really fair. If you've been around church for a while, you know what this nickname is, and what is his nickname? Somebody shout it out. What do we call him? Yeah, we call him Doubting Thomas. That's not fair. Just like the blind guy Jesus healed, we call him Blind Bartimaeus. I bet he takes offense to that. He was blind for like the first part of the story. Why don't we call him Seeing Bartimaeus, you know? <laughs> Here's the problem with doubting Thomas is that we want to pick on him. We want to pick on Thomas because he wouldn't believe that Christ had risen from the grave unless he saw him. And he makes this declaration, but you and I are the exact same way. We're, we're all doubting, you know. We're doubting Thomas's and Tina's. <laughs> We're all doubting in some way, shape, or form, and we want, almost want God to prove himself to us when he has nothing to prove, because that's not how we receive Christ. It's not by God proving something to us that we go, oh, okay, so let's make this deal. Let's negotiate. Okay, now I'll trust you. No, it's that we trust in his goodness, and this is what Jesus was trying to illustrate and speak to Thomas, and I believe these words are resonating even to us here today, whether you're here in this room, whether you're sitting out in the commons, or whether you're watching online. 
My prayer is that these words resonate of Christ here in John 20. Let's look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and I place my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So here we are, the doors are locked, and Jesus somehow gets in the room. And he says, peace be with you. What? <laughs> what? It's Jesus, man. How'd you get in? We locked the doors. And then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas, he said, oh, my Lord, my God. You see, then he confesses, oh, my Lord, my God. And Jesus says this to him next. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, you and I are in that category. We always want God to prove himself to us. Oh, God, I'll serve you when you do this. And it's almost the same as saying, I'll put my hands in the marks. Show me something, God, then I'll believe. Those of you who are listening today that you're skeptics, you're someone that would say, ah, oh, show me. Or you look back and you go, where was God when this tragedy struck? Where was God in this and in that? And we want to try to make God owe us something or do something for us. And then we'll say, you do this, you fix this, you make this happen for me, then I'll serve you. And he says, no, listen, it's actually more blessed for you to not have seen and for you to still believe. That's called faith. That's putting your faith and your hope in what Christ did as being good enough even though you may not have any physical evidence right there in front of you to put your hands in. That you say, based on the Word alone, based on the Scripture alone, that I trust as being the Word of God, I see what Christ did, and I see that as sufficient. And I see that as enough. And it causes you to be grateful and thankful, and it transforms you and changes you. That's what Paul was trying to communicate to those that he wrote in Romans chapter 10. In verse 13, where he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. Where do I get faith? From hearing the Word. The Word of Christ, the Word of the Gospel. Like a message that you heard today. Maybe today faith has been stirred in you because you've heard of your need. Your need has been presented to you because guess what? It's not just your need, it's all of our need. We all share in this need because we all share in the same problem. Every one of us have this prison clothes that we wear that we need some help with. Otherwise, we don't have much hope. But Jesus made a way where there was no other way. It wasn't that we were falsely imprisoned. It wasn't that we were falsely and wrongly accused and sentenced. No, we were straight up guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. But the good news 
is that Jesus Christ took the punishment that you and I deserved. So do you see your need today? Has the Holy Spirit perhaps opened your eyes and revealed to you your need to where you see something you didn't see before and you feel a stirring and a drawing in you? Can I tell you that that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you because the scripture says it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance? He's not exposing these things to you or stirring these things in you to bring you shame or to bring you condemnation because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he wants you to break free from, from, from that shame and receive his love because he's not expecting you to be perfect in order to come to him. He wants you just as you are. He doesn't say, hey, clean up your act, get a new shirt, take a shower, clean up your language, stop doing this, stop doing that, then you can start following me. Then you can come and be a part of a church and then you can come and learn more about me and get connected in Christ's community. After you've done those things, no, no, no. He says, I want you right in the middle of all of your mess because scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that means in our hearts, if we've been that murderer or if we've been that adulterer, we've been that lustful person, if we've been that liar, we've been that deceiver, we've been that rebellious person, he doesn't say, oh, you're that person. No, he says, I love you right where you're at in the middle of your sin, even if it's something that you did this morning. I'm loving you enough to take your place and to take the penalty and take the punishment right now because he did it once and for all on the cross. And you can keep spending the rest of your life to try to be good enough, but you will always come up short because even on your best days, you'll never be good enough to atone for or to fix the sin problem. Jesus was the only one good enough to do that because he was perfect in every way. He was that spotless lamb that took the sins of the world that he redeemed us, he bought us back, he adopted us now into the family of God by his sacrifice and nothing else saves us other than Christ. Nothing else, not your good deeds, it's not Jesus plus something else. No, it's Christ who saves us, it's Christ who sustains us, and it's Christ who changes us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. So have you encountered the real Jesus? I want to ask the prayer team to go ahead and come up this morning. Would you just come and stand right up here in the front prayer team right now, if you could move and just come forward. Have you encountered the real Jesus? I also would like someone to be out in the commons as well. And if you're watching online, please make sure that you uh, interact with your chat moderator. Have you encountered Jesus, the risen Savior? If not, then reach out to him today because he wants you just as you are. And when you recognize your sin, you need to tell him that you see it. I see it. I see my sinfulness. I see my hopelessness. And I need help with this. And Jesus, I was told that you can help me with this. So Jesus, I need you. I need you and draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I've been choosing self-rule, my own way above your way. And I want to put my trust and hope in the fact that you took my sin on the cross. And I admit it, I'm guilty. And I need you. I need you to come and fix the thing I can't fix. And I receive what you've done as being the thing that fixed my sin problem. 
God, thank you for saving me. I had nothing else to do with anything, Lord, of saving myself because I can't do it even on my best days. Lord, my past is gone. I'm a a new creation in Christ. I trust that by your Holy Spirit that, that you now live and dwell in me and that I am free from sin and I'm made alive in Christ today. And I receive this message by faith. Lord, I've responded to this gospel, this good news that I was once a prisoner, but now I've put my faith in Christ alone and heaven is my forever home. I am your son, God, or I am your daughter. Today, would you reach out to him? Is that you? If you felt that tug, you need to make that decision and you need to confess Christ as your Lord and say something like that, whatever is in your heart to reach out once you have seen your sinfulness and you've seen your need and you've seen your depravity and you've seen your hopelessness and you say, Lord, I need you. Because if something's tugging on your heart this morning, that is the Holy Spirit and all you have to do is respond. All you have to do is respond. The worst thing you could do is be stirred and do nothing about it and ignore it. That's the worst thing you could do is to just be stirred and not do anything, sit idly by and go, oh, I'll do that later when it's more convenient. Or I don't know if I can receive that. No, receive that message today. So here's what I would ask. We're about to sing a song here in just a moment. And we want to celebrate with you. And we want to be able to pray for you and encourage you. And we have a book that we'd like to give you and just help encourage you. And we have prayer team members down here and your chat moderators online. And there will be someone in the commons that can minister to you as well. We're going to sing this song about the goodness of God and our need and how we need to die to self and we need to receive that new life in Christ. Let this be that moment for you. So would you come? Church, would you stand this morning? Just stand all over this place today. And if that's you, would you come as we sing this song? And and some of you today, here's the other piece of this. Some of you today... You can go ahead and come now. Some of you today have realized you need to do something to publicly declare your faith in Christ. Some of you have recognized this. There's something stirring in you. Well, guess what that is? That would be water baptism. That's what we believe that that is, that that is you publicly declaring your faith that I have decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back, that I put my faith and my trust in him. And maybe you've never been baptized and today is the day. Some of you signed up ahead of time, but some of you are being stirred right now because you walked in and you just went over to get coffee and you saw that big thing over there and you're like, oh man, oh, I would love to be baptized, but I'm just not ready. Well, that's okay because we're ready for you. We have clothes in every size for you to change into. And I'm not joking. We have clothes in every single size that you can actually change into and we're going to let you wear in order to be baptized. So if God is stirring your heart today, we don't want there to be anything keeping you from saying yes to God today. So I would ask if God is stirring you to be baptized today, would you please go out your th- this back door and Pastor Keith will meet you right there and he'll help you get clothes and he'll help you get your sizes picked out. Move right now. Move right now. If that's you and you feel the Holy Spirit telling you, yes, today is the day. I need to get baptized. Guess what? We've been waiting for you. We've been prepared for you. And we have made plans so you can be baptized today. We had four people last night respond to spontaneously saying, yes, Lord. They didn't come prepared. They were like, oh, my goodness. The Holy Spirit has moved on my heart, and I got to do this thing. Four people last night said yes to that. And maybe that's you. And if that's you, then you need to move. Yeah. Give God thanks for that. 
I'm thankful for yesterday and I'm celebrating yesterday, but I'm also focusing on this moment right here because this is your moment where you need to do business with God. So if you need to come up and allow one of our prayer team members to pray for you, or if you need to simply go outside, even at any point during this song, some of you may be wrestling even now and you're like, yeah, I need to do this. I need to do this. Would you just give in to that and just say, yes, Lord, I'm going to say yes to you in this moment. I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Christ and publicly declare my faith. You can get baptized today. We're going to sing this song together and we're going to worship God as people are getting ready for baptism. And then what we're going to do after the song is over is that I would ask that you would just respectfully go out into the commons area. Please be respectful and mindful that God is still moving and working in people's hearts and lives. And just respectfully go out into the commons area and just gather around that baptism. And we're, we're just going to be able to celebrate together as we baptize people. So can we just worship God over these next few minutes? And if you want to be baptized, please come. And if you would like prayer, please come.